Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 11. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Samuel, and it gives us great history and everything, and we're seeing, uh, we've been going, of course, through it verse by verse, passage by passage. We're seeing a transition from the time of the judges, Samuel being the last judge, to the time of the kings, Saul being the first king. Samuel was a judge. He was also a prophet, a priest, and a judge. Judges were deliverers, and God used Samuel to turn the nation of Israel back to God, and now the the people wanted a king, so Samuel is now going to be the last of the judges. Judges, and he, we saw last time he anointed Saul as the first king. That means he set him apart. And so we're seeing this transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And uh, in chapter 10 that we saw last week, we saw at the very beginning what we call the private anointing, where Samuel actually anointed Saul to be the king, and then they brought him back in front of all the people and had a big meeting and, and picked out Saul to be the king. And so the nation of Israel wanted a king. And one thing we have to remember is that they really weren't supposed to have a king like this. The, in, in the nation of Israel, God was their king. They basically wanted a king to be like everybody else and to go out and fight their battles. God told Samuel, they've not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. So now we have this earthly king, you might say. This man, his name is Saul, and we're going to see what he's like. We've, we've talked about this before. We've said Saul started great, and he ended poorly, and we're going to see that he starts great this morning. We're going to see some good things. This is, uh, this is what we call the first real test of Saul as the king. The Ammonites bring war. They're going to fight. Uh, who's going to lead them? Is Saul going to lead? Is Saul going to be the king? Is Saul going to be the king that the people wanted, the one who would lead them out? And, and when you think about it, there are trials and challenges and all things all the time. And we think about our own selves as this is a problem for the nation of Israel. What about our problems? And uh, we'll see them as we go through this. You know, one of the things that we learn from the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And notice he says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials. He didn't say consider it all joy for the trials, but he said consider it all joy when you in- encounter these trials. We're going to all have trials. They're going to all come into our lives. In fact, the truth is, he didn't say if trials come into your life. He said when trials come into your life. And we realize that as we go through life, there are ups and downs, there's issues. How do we respond to the trials, the problems, the, the unexpected events, maybe the disappointment? Appointments, the sicknesses, the things that turned that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. Well, James says, count it joy, not for the trials, but in the trials, because it gives us an opportunity to trust God. Well, we're going to see this morning that there's a trial coming to the nation of Israel, and it's going to directly affect Saul because Saul's the new king. What's going to happen? What's going to happen there? How will he respond? And so we look at this and we say, Saul faces the test. Will he lead the nation of Israel into battle as they want it? If you remember going back to to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, they said, they said, this is what we want. We want a king that we'd be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So the nation of Israel wanted a king to fight their battles, and now they're fixing to have a battle, and they picked a new king. What's going to happen? And, you know, as we said, Saul starts great. In fact, this passage, I've said it earlier, chapter 11 may be his best his best chapter in the whole Bible because he actually does good here, and, and we see that sometimes uh, believers are a lot like Saul. He started out so well, and then he 
then he got off and messed up. Now, we're not talking about losing salvation. When Saul was a believer, and even, no matter what happened, he, he, he's a believer. Same thing for us. There are people we trust in Christ, and we believe in him for eternal life, and we start off good, and then we fall by the wayside. We do not want to do that. We want to start well and finish well. And Well, we see Sam, uh, Saul this morning. He starts well. Let me give you the outline of the passage. We're going to go through it fairly quickly. There's the challenge at Jabesh. What happens there? If this is your first time, or you, I'll, I'll give you some background on what's going on, because when we just read chapter 11, if you haven't been here, you may go, what are they talking about? Well, anyway, we'll see it. We'll give you the challenge at Jabesh. We're going to see what Saul does, and then how at the end he's accepted, and what goes on there, because we'll see some things. So let's start with chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Then Naash, the Ammonite, came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. That's a city. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Now, let me just show you what's going on. Here's the city, Jabesh Gilead. Here are the Ammonites. There's a people group. Here's Rabbath Ammon. That's the, that's the, the main city in, in Ammon. Uh, and Ammon, and you may have heard of it. Maybe you've heard of Ammon, Jordan. That's the capital of Jordan today. That's the same city going all those years back, thousands of years. So here is this, the, the Ammonites have come up, and they've decided as an army, they're going to take this city, and they're going to capture it. They're either going to kill everybody in there, or they're just going to take the city. And so, because this is Israel, of course, and this is, Saul lives down at Gibeah. This is where he lives. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead, here this army comes up against them, and here's what they said. Notice it says, Then Naash, Naash was the leader of the Ammonites, and he came up and he besieged the city, Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Naash, Make a covenant with us. They said, uh, Please make a covenant. Uh, don't kill us. Don't kill us. Because this, this army is outside the city, and they're about to capture the city. Now, let me ask you a question uh, just for you to think about. Who are these Ammonites? Because when you look at there's people from Edom or Edomites, and there's uh, Moabites, and there's Ammonites. There are all these different people groups. Well, let me tell you where these people came from, and you're not going to like it. I mean, it's just it's not very good. Um, if you remember, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a very wicked city. God sent some angels down to look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was so bad that God said, we're going to destroy the city. But Lot was Abraham's nephew, and so God sent an angel to Lot and said, get out of the city, we're going to destroy it. Take your wife, your kids, your two girls, and if they've got husbands, get them, get everybody get out of the city. Well, the next day, they, it was early morning, they wouldn't go exactly, and so the angel had to actually come and say, Lot, get out of the city. As they left the city... The, the, the wife never wanted to leave, and it actually says she turned back to look at the city, and she turned into a pillar of salt, and because she didn't want to leave, and so God judged her that way. Now, when they left, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and Lot and his two daughters went, and they lived in a cave for a while. Now, this is the bad part. The two daughters said to each other, they said, we don't know what we're going to do, because we don't know if we're ever going to get husbands now, so let's do this. Let's get our father drunk. Let's have sex with him, and let's produce children through him. One of the daughters of Lot had children, and they're the descendants who became known as the Ammonites. So that's who those people are. They've come up against Jabesh Gilead, and they're going to attack it. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead said, please make a covenant with us. Uh, don't kill us. Make a covenant. But Naash, verse 2, the Ammonites said to them, I will make it with you on this condition that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you, thus I'll make it a reproach to Israel. So he says, here's, here's my one condition. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke out the right eye of all the men. Wait, what's going on? Why would you do that? 
Well, if you're a soldier, most people were right-handed. You had the shield in this hand. If you poked out this eye, then when you're holding up your shield, you can't see because the shield blocks the left eye. So if you lose your right eye, you can't see to fight. So they said, here's what we'll do. We won't destroy the city. We'll let you live, but we'll poke out all your right eyes. And that way we don't have to worry about you being fighting and coming back against us. We'll do that. Now, if you're in the city of Jabesh Gilead, this is not a good day, right? I mean, so the army's out there, and they're going to take you. And then they say, well, let, let's see if we can make a covenant. Uh, can we make a deal? Yeah, we'll just poke all your, your right eyes out. And you go, wow, that's not very good either. I mean, this is not good. So what are they going to do? What will they do? Well, here's what they say. The elders of Jabesh, that's the, the mature men, that's kind of the leaders of the city. The elders of Jabesh said to him, let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there's no one to deliver us, we'll come out to you. And they said, would you do, do us, I mean, let us have seven days that we can see if we can go get somebody to help us. Now, if you're Naash of the Ammonites, why would you give them seven days? Why would you give them anything? Well, you know, here's the, why didn't he attack? Well, maybe he's not ready to fight yet. Maybe he's not even really strong enough to take the city that he's really bluffing them and that he's not going to attack them and he's just maybe scaring them in and he thinks they'll give up. Or if there's no fear. He says, I don't think they can raise an army. The Israelites were pretty scattered out. They don't really, they just now got a king. And so he says, I, 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 okay, we'll give you seven days. We'll give you seven days, and that's what we're going to do. So then what happened? Verse 4, then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted their voices and wept. Now, so they go to, so they send messengers to Gibeah of Saul, and, and, and let me give you the map. Let me show you what's going on. So here, here they are, the men of Jabesh Gilead. Ammonites have come up around them. So Jabesh Gilead sends some messengers all the way down to Gibeah. This is the hometown of Saul, who has now been picked as the new king or the very first king of Israel. So they come down there, and you could ask the question, why, why Saul? Well, because he's the king. So if you wanted a king to go out and fight for you, now here's the opportunity. We got trouble. The Ammonites are about to get us. So who do we go to? We go to Saul. So it says, the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, and they spoke these words in the hearing of the people. They came into the town. Saul wasn't in the town. And they, all the people lifted up their voices, and they wept. I mean, what are we going to do? We're in trouble. And, and this is the very first test. And I think about this. This is a test. What's going to happen to the nation of Israel? Are they going to unite? Is Saul going to be the king that's going to come out and say, we're going to go fight and we're going to win the battle? What's going to happen? In fact, where is Saul? In fact, do you think if you're the king, what do you have? Don't you have a palace and a throne and all that kind of stuff? Well, no, because they've never had a king before. And I don't think Saul knew what he was even supposed to do. And so what is Saul doing? Look what it says. Verse 5. Now, Saul, now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And he said... What's the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Now Saul had not said, hey, I'm the king and I've got a palace and everything. He's back out in his own field working behind the oxen. And, and so he's just doing his normal thing. And the problem is, you probably could say to Saul, what do you think a king's supposed to do? And he goes, I don't really know what a king is exactly supposed to do. I mean, I guess they want me to lead them. That's all. And so he's been in his field. And as he gets there, he says, what's going on? And they say, here's what's happened. The people from Ammon have come and said they'll either kill us all or they'll poke our eyes out. And so we're in trouble and we need some help. You know, the great truth from the Bible is that when, when we are to serve God, when we're to live for God, he gives us the power. 
God gives us the power to fulfill any responsibilities. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts. And God has said to each of us in this room, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to lead people to Christ and train them, equip them. I want you to go into this community with the greatest message of all. I want you to train people. I want you people to come to know Christ and then grow. And you cannot do that in your strength. God says, I have given you the strength. I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. For all of us who trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have different spiritual gifts. So if God is going to use us, he's going to empower us. Now watch, he does the same thing for Saul. When Saul found out what happened, look at verse 6. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will empower Saul. Remember, Saul is a believer. In the Old Testament, it's a little bit different. In the Old Testament, when people were believers, they believed in the coming Messiah, uh, they were born again, but the Holy Spirit did not come to live inside believers. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would come upon people to give them power. He's coming upon Saul right here to give him power, but they didn't permanently indwell. For us, what's amazing now is that any of us who believe in Jesus Christ, as we trust in him as our Savior, we put our faith in him, we believe that he gives us eternal life. The moment we believe that, the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us. So it's different. So Saul, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes upon Saul mightily. Now, you know, what was that like? Did he feel it? Did he know it? Did suddenly he just say, wait a minute, I know what I'm supposed to do. Who knows? We don't know. But it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily when he heard these words, and he became angry, very angry. Now, some people say, well, you're not supposed to ever get angry. I mean, people say, don't get angry. Well, the Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. See, it's okay to be angry. Sometimes if we're angry about the right things, do you remember what Jesus did? You remember what Jesus did? He went into the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry. He went into the temple area, and they, all these people had set up these tables and these animals, and they were changing everything out, and they were doing all these things wrong. And Jesus went in there and turned over the tables and threw out their money and ran those people out, and he was angry. See, you can be angry and sin not. See, we can be angry about things that are wrong. We can say it is wrong to kill babies. We can say it is wrong to sex slavery and all that kind of mess that's all out there. We can say those things are wrong, and we can be angry about that. And we should be. And so we can be angry and not sin. Saul is angry. In the power of God, he says, we're not going to put up with this. He is angry about the evil of the Ammonites because the Ammonites have just come to a city and said, we'll either kill every one of you or we'll poke your eyes out. So what does he do? It's really amazing. It says in verse 7 that he took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. He basically says this. He cuts up his oxen, and he sends pieces out to all the tribes and the areas, and he says, this is from the king, Saul, and he says, if you don't come follow him and go to the battle, uh, he'll come cut up your oxen. That's what he's going to do. And they people went, oh, well, we, this must be serious. We better do something. And it said that the dread 
of the Lord fell upon the people. They understood that this was from God and that they came out as one man. I want you to realize that he, he's, this is unity. They're going to go to battle. And we see his leadership because he's got them with a common goal. The common goal is we've got to defeat the Ammonites. They've got a plan and a purpose. Saul is starting well. Now, as you look at this passage, I want you to say that if this is all we had on the life of Saul, we would say, what a great leader Saul was, if that's all we had. And so at this stage, we're saying, man, he is good. He's starting well. They wanted a king. Saul is acting like a king. Do you understand? He, he has a plan. He is able to unite the people. He has the strength to lead. He has the strength of the Lord. So this is amazing. Now, I want you to notice one thing that he did that was really special. Look again at verse 7. About the middle of the verse, he says this. He says, whoever does not come after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to their oxen. See, what he does, he puts Samuel with him. He knew that he had just been the king for a very short time. Samuel had been a judge all of his life. Samuel was a prophet, a priest, and a judge. He was very loved by the people and respected by the people. So instead of Saul saying, whoever doesn't come follow Saul, you're in trouble. He said, whoever doesn't come follow Saul and Samuel, you're in trouble. And the people went, well, we better go. Because Samuel was so highly respected, and Saul is looking really, really good. So looking great so far. So look at verse 8. He numbered them in Bezek. They went to Bezek, and the number of Israel were 300,000, and the number of Judah were 30,000. They've got 330,000 soldiers. And they go to Bezek. So what they do is Gibeah, they leave Gibeah. They get all these people that they've been sending this stuff out to, the tribes of Dan, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, all of these ones, uh, and Judah's down there. So they bring them all up, and they go to Bezek, and they have 360,000 troops. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, and you know, the Ammonites don't know this. They don't know what's coming. All they know is the people in that, that town said, would you give us seven days? And they went, ah, we'll give you seven days. You're nothing. And they figured that one of these days they're going to walk out and they're going to be able to either kill the whole, all the people there or poke their eyes out. They do not know that there are 360,000 Jewish people getting ready to go fight and uh, so look at verse 9. Then they said to the messengers who had come, that this is what Saul, and they said to the messengers, then you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. And so the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and they were glad. So notice what it says, that by this time tomorrow, by the time tomorrow when it's hot, now, that means like it's 10 or 11 in the morning because, you know, it started getting hot in the middle of the day. And so they say, listen, you don't have to worry about a thing. By tomorrow in the middle of the day, you will have, you will have victory. You will be delivered. And, I, I mean, I, and so they sent, they sent the word to them. And uh, I love the end of the verse because it says, so the messengers went and told them in a Jabesh, and they were glad. Yeah, I guess they were glad. Yeah, I mean, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, I'd be glad. They said, okay, the people that are coming, don't worry. So it says, then the men of Jabesh, now they're now talking to watch. As you look at this, you, you can't tell at first, but when you look at the flow of the passage, the men of Jabesh then go and talk to the Ammonites, and here's what they say. Then the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So they went and talked, basically, Samuel, uh, the people of Jabez sent the word to the Ammonites, and they said, okay, uh, tomorrow you can come out, we'll come out, and you can do whatever you wish. Now, they're making it look like we don't have any help, and we're giving up, 
And, and so I guess instead of destroying the whole city, we're giving up. We'll come out to you tomorrow, and you can poke our eyes out. That's what it looks like. And so if you're the Ammonites, you said, eh, they quit. We got them. We got them. We'll just go in tomorrow, and we'll just start poking out eyes. I mean, that's what they're going to do, right? That's what they think. They don't know that there are 360,000 Jewish troops led by Saul to go try to take the Ammonites. So let's see what happens. Look at verse 11. So the next morning, not very early, it says, Saul put the people into three companies. He divided them into three groups. They came into the midst of the camp, the camp of the Ammonites, at the morning watch. We'll talk about when that is in just a second. And they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Remember what he said? By the time that is hot, by the sun is hot, you'll have victory. They struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no, no two of them were even left. And so they came. He divided them into three groups, divided them up, probably surrounded the camp of the Ammonites. And then it says that it was in the third watch of the night, I think is what it says, uh, in, in the midst of the camp in the morning, in the morning watch. Most believe that was between two and six. We'd say two and six in the morning. It was not. So, it, so just think about it. three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, Saul's army attacked the Ammonites. Now, Ammonites weren't expecting this because they weren't expected to fight. They thought the other people were going to give up, and so they were sleeping in, right? I mean, they're not got to get up and go have a, a battle early in the morning. And here comes Saul and the troops, and they destroy them. In fact, it says those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were even left together. It was a great victory. It was a great victory. People have run everywhere. They scattered the enemy. God gives the victory. Now, I want you to remember something. We've seen it all the way through. Every time the nation of Israel is in fellowship with God and doing right, they have victory. Every time they're not in fellowship with God and they're not doing right, they lose. If you remember, they fought the Philistines two different times. Both times they were out of fellowship. Both times they lost. When Samuel turned them back to God and Samuel led them, they had victory and they won. Now, in this particular time, the nation of Israel has turned to God. They've unified. They've come under Saul. Saul is leading them, and God gives them the victory. And one thing that you have to remember is the only way you're going to have victory in the Christian life is God's power through you. It is not us. It's not our, our personalities. It's not all our abilities and everything. It is God through us. And if we want to have victory in the Christian life, it's got to be God's power through us. We've got to be in fellowship with him. We've got to live for him. We've got to uh, obey the scripture. That's the only way to have victory. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in that passage, 1 Corinthians 15, it's the, it's the resurrection passage. And so he's really talking about that God gives us the victory over death through Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the victory that we have. Think about in salvation. Salvation. God gives us the victory, and I'm talking about eternal life salvation. God gives us the victory by Jesus Christ, how he came, on the, came and died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again, conquering death. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we get eternal life. We have victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. By faith in him, he gives us life forever, eternal life. That's, our, that's salvation. And then in the Christian life, our lives now, God gives us the victory by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we live in God's power, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. And so the bottom line is that God gives us the victory. Not us. We don't make, make the victory. God gives the victory. And so it's just an incredible victory for the nation of Israel. It says no, not even two, they weren't even two soldiers of the other people left uh, together. Now, 
Look what happens when it's over. Now, I want to remind you of something. When Saul was first anointed as king, if you remember that Samuel brought all the tribes together and they picked it out and then they announced Saul as the king and he wasn't even there. He was hiding in the baggage. So they brought Saul out, made him king in front of everybody and everybody went, yay, long live the king, except a few people. And a few of those people were called worthless men. And in chapter 10, verse 27, it says, But some worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? They despised him. They weren't for Saul as being king. And it says, And they did not even bring him a present. That's what it says. So he kept silent. So there were some people, when Saul became king, that didn't want him to be king. Now that Saul has this great victory, look what some people say. Verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is that? Who is he that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men out that we may put them to death. What they actually said is, hey, we had a great victory. Saul's the king. Everything went great. Let's find those guys that didn't want Saul be king and let's kill them. Because that's what they wanted to do. Because they said, we have division here. and We need to get rid of those people. But look what Saul does. And look, look at his reaction. See, he said, leave him alone. Watch, it is God who has given the victory. Look what he says. But Saul said, verse 13, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Saul gives God the credit. Now, let me tell you something. That's what you have to always do. Whenever God uses you to do anything, if he uses you to teach, if he uses you to lead somebody to Christ, if he uses you to help somebody, if he uses you to encourage somebody, regardless, you can say this, God be the glory. God is the one that did it. God brings it about. We're just his instruments. God just takes us, and what we say to him is, God, just take my life and use me any way you want to, whatever you want me to do. If you want me to tell somebody about Christ, I'll do it. If you want me to teach somebody, I'll do that. If you want me to just help them in their their yard, I'll do that. I mean, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I want to do, because it is God who gives us the strength, and it is God who gets the glory. And here's what Saul Saul actually says it. He says, it is God who has given us the victory. Now, let me just tell you this. He's going to change, because later on, He's going to say, I got the victory. That's why he begins to fail, because he turns away from giving God the victory and from believing and understanding that it is God who gives the victory. He begins to think he gets the victory, and that's why God's going to remove him from being the king, because he quits trusting God and begins to do his own thing. For our lives, who gives the victory in our lives? It's not us. It's God through us. We can thank him. We can say, oh, Lord, it is amazing what you do. You do beyond what we could ask or imagine. You love us more than we could imagine. You use us more than we could imagine. And everything that you do through us, we should say, it is God who gives the victory. Always, always. So Saul does great. He says, no, 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 nobody's going to die today because it is God who does it. Now, Samuel then takes charge. Watch in verse 14. Samuel said to the people, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So Samuel takes charge, and they're going to go to Gilgal. This is an opportunity to put the nation together, because you remember when Saul first became the king, there were some people who weren't for him. This is an opportunity to bring everybody together and say, wow, we had a great victory. Here's our king. We're all in this together. That's the plan. Now, they're going to Gilgal. Let me show you. Gilgal is right there. This is where Saul grew up. This is where they had the fight. They're going to Gilgal. Gilgal, the word Gilgal actually means a rolling over or a starting again. And every time the nation of Israel needed to start again, 
they would go back to Gilgal and start again. And so this is what they're doing. Samuel says, let's go back to Gilgal and renew the kingdom. And that's what, we're, that's what they're going to do. And, that, and, that, and that's how it works. Now, by the way, this, this city is going to be used three different times for Saul and Samuel. It's where Saul is recognized as king. This is going to be the place Saul's failure to obey. And this is going to be the place that Saul is rejected as king. This one town. It's that powerful. So look what happens in verse 15. So all the people went to Gilgal, and they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal, and they offered, peace off, uh, they offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Well, they, they go, and they go to Gilgal, and uh, they, they offer sacrifices, and it's really a, a big day. Now, you could say, but Jebby, I thought, they already, uh, I thought they already picked Saul as the king. They had but this is, this is like the big day that says, okay, now we're going to make this really official and we're going to bring everybody together. And when they bring everybody together, they offer sacrifices. And if you read it carefully, it says they offered peace offerings. You know what a peace offering is? In, in the Old Testament, there were, there were uh, peace offerings and thank offerings and there were sacrifices for sin. If you did a, if you did a sin, a particular sin, you, you could bring an animal and it would cover your sin. A peace offering was that you said... Thank you, God, you are so good. And you go and you took an animal and you offered it to God and they killed the animal and they started to cook it and the priest got some and the rest came back to you and you and your family had a picnic. A peace offering was like a, a, like a really happy day. You've done great for us, God. We're going to give you the sacrifice. We get some back. We all get to eat, and we have a big party. That's what a peace offering is, and that's what they did. They all came down there, and notice what it says, and there's Saul, and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. What a great start. What a great start in God's power. There's victory and joy and unity. Saul had passed the first test. Now, let me tell you, they're going to be testing our lives all the time. Not just the first test, but a bunch of tests. And the question is, are we going to trust God? Are we going to believe him? Are we going to believe his word? Are we going to live by the Bible? Are we going to, are we going to live by the culture? Are we going to live by the Bible? I read a study yesterday. Uh, I saw a thing yesterday that talked about worldview, but I also read an article about two weeks ago, and it talked about what percentage of Christians supposedly evangelical Christians in the United States hold to a biblical worldview. Now, we had a, a, the youth uh, pa- parent training thing yesterday, and one person had a slide. Do you, know, do you know what the percentage of evangelical Christians who have a biblical worldview, you know what it is? It's 9%. It means 90% of Christians don't have the biblical worldview. That's the problem. That's the problem with what's wrong with why we're not having a bigger impact in our culture. And so here... Here Saul has done great. He passed the first test. And if we're going to pass the test, we've got to live by the Bible. We've got to obey. So let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's trust God in the trials and problems of life. That's what it says. James says, count it all joy when the trials come because it gives us a chance to trust him. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy not to know what to say or to do. But we know that Romans 8, 28 talks about God working all things together for good. We ought to trust him when the trials and the problems come in our lives. It's an opportunity to, tr- to, to trust him. The second thing is let's serve God in his 
power. There's a great truth. In Christ, we can do all things. And apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. We're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we gain the victory. We serve God in his power. When you, when you, when you think about living for God in his power, there's joy, there's victory, and there's unity. There's joy because we have the fellowship with God and with others. There's a victory because we have his power. And there's the unity, the love with one another. Let me tell you, you can tell. You can tell when a church is not unified. You can tell when a church has its sin in the body and when they have conflict because they're not unified. And when a church is unified, there's not the conflict and the problems in the body. And that's one of the things you can tell. And you've heard all your life about church splits and all these problems. That's people who are not living by the Bible. That's people who are not mature. And so if we serve God in his power, there will be unity because we will love one another. And let me just say this about this body. You're incredible. You love each other. There is unity. There, when, when, when something happens to somebody, you all gather and love that person and take care of them. You have great unity in this body. You have great maturity. And uh, so we, we're, doing, we're doing the right things. When you see Saul and his leadership, leadership always is based on God's power and God's plan. For us, that would be God's power of the Holy Spirit, God's plan. It would be the Word of God. That's how we're going to be leaders and do the things that God wants us to do. The third thing is just remember that God gets the glory. Always. If he uses you to do something great, I, let me t- I had to tell this quick story. Um, I trusted Christ when I was 19, and I got all fired up. I'd never gone to church, never done anything. And I had this good friend named Ray, uh, and, and Ray and I, we would go tell people about Christ. And so we'd go to the library. And I mean, I, I was bold in those days. I wish I was bold now. I'd go up to somebody that was sitting in the library. I mean, I'm 19 years old. They're a college student too. And I'd go up and I'd go, hey, can I ask you a question? If you were to die, you'd go to heaven? I mean, that's what I did, you know. And we led people to Christ. So I remember coming back to the athletic dorm with my, fa- my buddy Ray. And Nap, my pastor, was standing there. And I said, hey, Nap, we've been over at the library, you know, saving people. And he went, no, JB, you're not saving people. Jesus is saving them. You're just telling them. And we have to remember, who gets all the glory? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know what to say. I said, we've been saving people. No, no, you ain't saving them. You're just telling them how they can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory every time. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is our power. He is everything. The last one, just think about this. Let's maintain the unity within the body. That's the goal. The goal is a unified body. And how do you do that? You keep the focus on Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something that Paul called together the elders. This is Acts chapter 20. Paul called the elders of Ephesus together, and he told them, here is the two issues that a church has to deal with and that the leadership of church has to deal with. Two issues. One, from outside the body comes in false teaching. You have to deal with that. From within the body, there are divisive people who cause division in the body. Have to deal with both of them. We don't want that. We, how, do we, how do we keep unified? We keep our focus on Christ. We keep on living for him. We keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we serve in God's power. We give him the glory, and he, we give him all honor and praise.